This is volume one, the introduction to the St. Longinus's baptism channel. Who is St. Longinus? St. Longinus was one of the Roman centurions present at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, As Jesus was dying, it started getting late, and the Roman soldiers received orders that they, they, they had to kill the condemned criminals because the Sabbath, the Sabbath was coming up, and, you know, because the Jewish people, you know, they did not want you know, three criminals crucified on, you know, dead guys hanging, you know, hanging on the Sabbath. So they received the orders that these guys had to be killed. Well, St. Longinus received orders from his superiors, he, you know, kill Jesus. And he, he took his spear and he thrust it in the side of Jesus. And from Jesus' side came water and blood, which covered him. And according to traditional Catholic teachings, this was his baptism. Um, there's, there's a whole theology behind the whole blood and water thing, but I just wanted to give you a brief overview of, um, you know, why the, the channel is named as it is. And I'm hoping uh, the, the more you listen to this introduction, you'll be able to understand why I named the channel what I did. But we'll see. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie The Passion of Christ. Um, I'm sure some of you have. One of the scenes, I mean, that, that, that was an intense movie. I mean, one of the most intense movies I've ever seen. And now I, I won't get behind the social, the social thing behind the movie, but needless to say, that movie had a bunch of powerful scenes, but one of the scenes that really made an impact on me was when uh, St. Lachinus rammed his spear into the side of Jesus. Now, you may not remember this scene. I do, because it, it made an impact on me, but I, I want to give you a little, a little 
t- uh, picture of it. So there's a storm coming, and you already know the background. The, the They've gotten their orders that, hey, we need to kill these condemned criminals because the Sabbath's coming up, and the Jews don't want him, don't want these guys, you know, they don't want cr- uh, condemned men hanging on the Sabbath. So the uh, whoever the leader was, he barks, I mean, literally barks. Um, we'll get into my my background in a minute. But anybody who's been in the military knows, you know, this this is a this is this is a leader. And he's he's telling Longinus, he's like, finish him. <laughs> you know, I hate to quote quote a bad video game, but he's you know, he barks at him and the St. Longinus, the guy in the movie, I, I don't, you know, obviously, I don't really know his background. But in the movie, he looked like either a new recruit or just just basically, you know, your average grunt. But when, it, when his leader barked at him, he had like this real scared look on his face, like, you know, and anybody who served in the military will know exactly what I'm talking about. When the drill sergeant gets in your face, you know, you double time, you jump through fire, you swim through crocodiles, you do whatever that man tells you to do. And you do it double time. You do it yesterday. Anyway, he just grabs his spear and he gives it up Jesus' side. And from Jesus' side comes a bunch of blood and water, and he's covered in it. And he's looking shocked, like he can't believe that this just happened to him. And it it just really made an impact on me. Now, as far as my background goes, I was born in the late 60s. Um, I am a high school graduate, uh, no college. And uh, I served in the U.S. Army in Western Europe from the, uh, around the mid-80s. Now, um, for those of you who are too young to remember, uh, from, from, from around 1945 to 1989, Europe was split basically in half. Western Europe was under NATO, the North American... Uh, treaty organization and Eastern Europe, <clears throat> excuse me, Eastern Europe was under or what was called as the um, Warsaw Pact, and basically they were the allies of Soviet of the Soviet Union. And um, I guess. Being a former soldier, and by the way, before before I get into that, I just want to give some context. I knew from around the age of four or five that I wanted to be a career army guy. Uh, it was just you. You probably heard similar stories to mine. You know, guy's a little guy and. He, he puts it in his head. He wants to do something. And he does it. 
Well, that's exactly what I did. Um, in those days, in the 80s, you had to have a high school diploma to even get into the Army. Otherwise, uh, I've, I've had, I've had uh, several relatives who were former military and um you know that was not a requirement like say in the 60s or 50s but in the 80s it was a requirement you had to have a diploma and quite frankly I hated school hated it with a passion but just so that I could get in the army I got my diploma if it had been up to me, I'm not going to lie. I would have quit school to join. And in addition to that, you know, more truth time here. I was in rotten shape before high school. I was in terrible shape. I was shaped like a Hershey's kiss. And I realized that if I didn't, get myself in some sort of half-butted shape, I was never going to pass basic. So from around my sophomore year to my senior year, and I kept, I kept increasing my workout. I started out, you know, my sophomore year kind of light. And I, as, 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 as time progressed, I just kept doing more and more. Cause I, that was my goal, man. That that was what I wanted. And um, so, yeah, I whipped myself in this, you know. Uh, by the way, if you think you're in good shape before you go into basic training, especially mili uh, Marine boot camp, you're not. They're going to, you're not in good shape. <laughs> They're going to put you in good shape, though. The irony of all this is when I got home from, because you get leave after you go through your basic and you do what they call AIT, which is advanced. It used to be called advanced infantry training. Basically, AIT is your, your technical schooling. And you get leave. You get two weeks leave. And then you go to your duty station. I... I got together with my buddies that I used to hang with in high school and my best friend, he, you know, um, he's pretty honest, dude, or at least he was at that time. He told me flat out. He said, now nah, I didn't think I thought you'd wash out. I didn't think you'd have the discipline to pass. And I got to admit, I took a certain sense of, of grim satisfaction in that remark that I'd proved him wrong. But um, back to St. Longinus, he really resonates me, with me, um, having been a former uh, soldier myself. And, you know, I know there's going to be some people out there that are going to be like, actually, ah. Uh, the Roman military was different from the U.S. military during the Cold War. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, obviously, <laughs> we're talking what, you know, um, you know, we're talking what 2000 years in the past. These guys were fighting with spears and shields 
And, and, you know, I was carrying an M60. So, yeah, yeah, it's different. But you talk, by the way, for, for those of you who are not within the U.S., talk to any service member from any era, from any era. And for those of you in the U.S., do the same thing. And if you can get them to talk about it, they'll basically tell you that military service, the details different, the weapons, the uniforms, whatever, the tactics, but the basic day-to-day existence of your grunt is probably pretty much the same as it was during the times of the Old Testament. I don't want to get into, you know, autistic detail about, uh, you know, about the differences, you know, or the, 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 the similarities in, 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 you know, being what is known as enlisted, an enlisted soldier in any of the armies. I don't want to do that. I just want to make that point. As far as work goes, most of my experiences in service work, although um, I had done other types of, of work, you know, my, I got to say that my experiences varied um, on, on other jobs that I've done. But my main, my main experience is in service work. In uh, 2001, and I want to give you a little context on this one. In 2001, I became a Protestant. Now, before I became a Protestant, I was a complete and utter pagan. And let me explain what I mean by pagan. When I say pagan, I mean, I was, I, I, you know, God, God was an abstract concept to me. And he really was. He was an abstract concept. Um, I guess if you were to, if you had to, uh, if you had to put a label on what I, what my beliefs were, I guess you could call me a deist because I, I felt like God was so removed from the day-to-day existence of human beings. You know, it didn't matter. They basically, you know, he was disinterested. Um, so basically, and I'm going to quote the Old Testament here. There's a line in the Old Testament that says, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And that was my attitude. I have a tattoo that I got after I got out of the military of a grim reaper with a sign that says, live now, pay later. And I'm not proud of this fact, but in the spirit of honesty, I'm going to tell you that was my attitude. That was literally my living philosophy. Live now, pay later. So to get back to the original point, when I joined or yeah, when I joined the Protestant church in 2001, I knew nothing. And I mean, absolutely nothing about Christianity 
or God or anything like that. I wasn't interested. It wasn't something I was interested in. I paid no attention to it. So I was going into it totally and completely blind. But just like when I decided I was going to be a soldier, I decided that if I was going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I was going to be the best. I was going to be the best Protestant I could be. And so what I did was, was I checked out a bunch of books from the library and I read as much of it as I could to try to at least get a handle on what I was getting myself into. Not knowing, obviously, that um, it takes years. It really does. It takes years. It's like anything else. You start off as a, as, as, as a, a greenhorn, and then as you gain more experience, you know, you, you, you know more, you do more, you know. But it takes time. But I did not know that at the time. And quite frankly, I was younger then and didn't have the experience and the God-given wisdom. And believe me, any wisdom that you hear on these podcasts, it's not my wisdom. It's wisdom that God has given to me. I can't take credit for it. Now, I know some scoffers out there are going to say, Oh, really? You're going to credit experience for God? Well, yeah, I am. Because that's my outlook. You know, as, as people say, that's how I roll. Anyway, I became a Protestant in 2001. And like I said, I did a lot of reading about Christianity. And as I started doing this reading, because I, I, you know, I, I just took out books that I thought I needed to read. So I was reading a little theology, little church history, you know, stuff like that. And... <clears throat> I want to make it clear. There are some Protestants out there, and you know who you are, who will swear up and down that the the, the Catholic Church is false, it's fake. You know, they pro, they uh, some of the more ignorant ones will claim that they were the ones who fed the Christians to the lions. That's not true. It was actually Catholics who got fed to the lions. Regardless. But they'll swear up and down that it was a fake church. Now, the more intelligent and honest Protestants will tell you that, no, the, the Catholic Church was the first church. However, it became corrupt and it needed the, uh, the quote-unquote reformers to fix it. Guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin. And... Um, because this is a Protestant country, you know, that's an underlying narrative when you, you know, an underlying assumption of most Protestants. If they're smart and honest, they'll, they'll say something along those lines that, you know, basically the Catholic Church was, was corrupt and needed to be reformed. And that's the line I took. But as I'm doing my research, I realize wait a minute, Protestantism has too many, 
the theology of it has too many inherent contradictions. I don't want to, this is just an introduction video. So I don't want to get into the weeds with this too deep. I just want to give you the broad brushstrokes of it. Now, by the way, I will cover the air of Protestantism and Protestant theology in a later video. But for suffice it to say right now, I'm, I'm talking about my experience. And I, I, I was just noticing these inherent contradictions. And I'm thinking to myself, there's too many contradictions. I don't think that Protestantism is the answer. And so, um, I decided to, um, to join what I thought at that time was the Catholic Church. We will get into that aspect later. But for right now, um, we'll just keep it simple and I'll say, I joined what I thought was the Catholic Church. And... I want to disabuse some of you who may not know or, you know, through whatever, uh, you know, people are individuals. So, you know, different people have different ideas and philosophies and stuff. But having been a Protestant, I can tell you there are Protestants out there who will tell you there's a there's a. Uh, before you you can become a Catholic, you have to go through a program, which is what the Catholics call catechism. And it's called the Rite of Christian Initiation. And basically, all it is, it's a class that starts in September and runs to the following Easter. And they teach you Catholic doctrine, Catholic teachings. They're basically teaching you what you can get into. But these Protestants will swear up and down on a stack of Bibles. Oh, you guys are brainwashed. You're brainwashed. They brainwash you. Well, to disabuse you, if you hold that notion, the first class we took, the priest that was giving it told us, he said, look, guys, if you guys don't believe in this, if you feel like you can't become a Catholic, you can drop out at any time. You don't have to stay. And, you know, nobody held a gun to our head. You know, we weren't starved, so we would accept the brainwashing. We were allowed, you know, if we wanted to, to leave. Now, you're going to notice a motif the more you listen to my podcast. I give my, I, I read. I, in addition to the stuff they gave me, I did my own reading. Uh, in hindsight, I can honestly say that I did not do enough research. And that was probably due to laziness and probably, you know, other sins in me at the time. But I probably, you know, I'm, I'm just being honest. I, I probably didn't do enough research. So... But when I did the research, I realized that, at least as far as I knew, 
The Catholic Church was the one true church of Jesus Christ and was the one way to salvation. And so, you know, I, I uh, let me put it to you this way. You Protestants, agnostics, and atheists have probably never heard of this website unless you go there to troll. Um, but for the Catholics out there, they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I was on the Catholic. I actually got banned from the Catholic Answers website, and I got accused of being more Catholic than the Pope. Now, knowing now what I know, well, I'm sorry, knowing then what I know now, <laughs> I would say that your average Baptist in the pews is probably more Catholic than Pope Francis or quote unquote Pope Francis. But yeah, I, I, I thought that'd be a nice, interesting little interlude there for you guys. Anyway, um, so, but I jumped in it with both feet and with the, you know, once again, yes, this is the one true religion. This is something that I can, that I can get behind and if necessary, die for. Because my personality is built. And I know everybody's different, but my personality is built that if I really believe in something, I'll die for it. I really believed in this country and I was willing to die for it, come what may. And um, it was the same thing with Catholicism. And I got what uh, Catholics will know I'm talking about. I got confirmed into the Catholic Church in 2005, right after Pope John Paul II died. Or what I should say, quote-unquote, Pope John Paul II. Anyway, I stayed in the church till around 2016. And in between 2005 and 2016, I'm still doing the reading. Now, once again... I'm, I'm going to admit my fault. My fault was um, that I was not as diligent as I should have been. The warning signs had always been there, but I wasn't paying attention. I was blindly accepting that the, the church that I was in, I thought was the true Catholic church. Turns out I was wrong, but we'll get into that. But around two six, uh, 2016, once again, like the Protestant church, I'm noticing differences. Different kind of differences, but they're kind of related in the same way. I won't get into that. I'll cover that in another broadcast. But I'm noticing contradictions and here's the thing i was told by a vatican ii priest when i first became a vatican ii person that catholic teaching cannot contradict itself meaning that no matter what point of time you're in um i mean you know a hundred years after peter a thousand years after peter 1500 years after peter 2,000 years after Peter, 
Catholic doctrine cannot contradict, meaning that if a pope writes doctrine or a council writes doctrine that contradicts whatever the previous teachings of the past, the accepted teachings of the past are, then they're, it's a heresy. As far as heresy goes, I will get into that at a later uh, podcast. But for right now, if you're unsure of the terms, you can always Google them. You know, they do have a voice feature on Google. You don't even need to know how to spell heretic. You, you can just use your voice. Anyway, so I'm noticing that. I'm also noticing that the teachings and the behavior of the people, the leaders, and the priests, and when I say leaders, I'm talking about bishops, popes, and stuff. Um, their behavior and their teachings are different from what has been taught for at least 1,900 years. And it really confused me because I was intellectually convinced, and by the way, still am, that the Catholic Church is the only means of salvation. I'm convinced of it. Nothing will change my mind. Nothing. But I'm seeing guys that are supposed to be our leaders in their behavior and in their teachings, they're contradicting, they're contradicting past teachings. And I, I couldn't understand it. Because if the Catholic Church, or what I thought was the one true Catholic Church, was real and correct, it couldn't contradict itself. So it left me in a great deal of confusion. And in 2016, I still had the conviction that Catholicism was true, but I was confused, and I ain't going to lie. I was disheartened. I was really disheartened um, and confused by the things that I was seeing, and I... I uh, became a. I, I went back to half paganism. What I mean, half paganism is, I did not lose my faith that the Catholic Church is the the font of truth. I just knew that the guys that were supposed to be our leaders and teachers were not teaching that truth and were not living that truth, and. If it's one thing I despise, I despise it with every fiber of my being. It's hypocrisy. I don't like it. And so in 2016, I got out. And while I was out, um, you know, I reverted back partially to my old ways. And when I say my old ways, I'm just going to say that I was doing things that I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing. You don't need to know the details. They don't matter. But at the time, I was on Twitter. And in 2013, 
I was subscribed to a lot of Catholics on Twitter and, you know, interacting with them and stuff. And from some of the guys that I was interacting with, I found out about Sedevacantism. Now, I know there are a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the term. And those of you who are, just hang on to your hats. You know, we'll get there. But I'd never heard of it. And yes, even though I'd been lax and, um, even though I'd been lax and, uh, and slipshod in, 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 in my, uh, diligence to learning all I could about Catholicism, I had still read books. I was still reading Catholic books at the time, but I'd never heard a set of Acantism. So I'm listening to what they have to say. And I'm interacting. I'm asking questions, and you know, I'm I'm trying to get, I'm trying to suss out, you know, what what, what, what does this all mean? Well, now I'm not like I said. I'm going to be as honest with you as I can. I got, you know, I got one foot in the door and one foot out. I'm still doing this, you know. I, I'm I'm not being diligent, but I am kind of learning about set of accountism. But I'm not really serious because I, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. And as St. Paul said, a double man, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And if you've never heard that expression, um, I can attest personally, at least from my perspective, truer words were never spoken. Of course, it's in the Bible, so I would hope that truer words were never spoken. Anyway. So, in 2000, I'm sorry, yeah, 2021, I decided to get serious. Now, in the course of these introductions, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to give you a timeline of what's going on, how I came to the conclusion of set of Acantism. But in 2021, I decided that their position was correct. And this was three years in the making. And because I decided to, you know, get serious the way I got serious before I joined the military, I really dove deep into set of Acantis positions. And I, I, you know, was listening to podcasts. I was reading papal bulls. I was reading, you know, traditional Catholic literature to, you know, to dig at it. And this year I decided that their position is correct. And you can say I'm misguided. You could say that I'm unstable. You can say whatever you want. I'm convinced this is the truth. And if I'm, if I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do, I'm hoping, I know not everybody who listens to these podcasts, you know, they're probably going to think I'm a loon, a cranker or not. I don't care, never have, but I'm hoping that it'll touch some of you. And if you have an open heart and an open mind, it'll touch you. And I'm hoping you come to this 
conclusion yourself. And if, if what, um, if I'm being an instrument of the Lord the way I should be, hopefully, you know, hopefully he, he will use me as his instrument to reach you because this is what this channel is all about is, is to reach people that are willing to be reached. If you're, if you're one of these, uh, crap posters or edgy boys that just likes to go on to comment ports and leave stupid snarky comments, um, why are you here? If you don't believe anything what I'm talking about, if you don't give a dang about what I'm telling you, why are you here? Go somewhere else. I'm boring you. I'm wasting your time. You know, I can't say you're wasting my time because you're really not. You're the one clicking on the podcast. <laughs> but I'm I'm saying do yourself a favor. You know, you're not going to change what I'm what I'm trying to do here. You know, you're not you're not going to shame and humiliate or put me down or any of that. Cuz I honestly don't care what you say or what you think. So, you know, and if you're a Protestant and, you know, you want to do the same thing, why are you here? There are dozens of Protestant um, podcast channels you could tune into. Why do you want to come to a Catholic channel to post, you know, to, to, to start an argument? You know, it, it, uh, anyway, I'll get into the other stuff later. But, so, I'm going to explain terms now. And I know I've been throwing around a lot of terms. I'm, I'm hoping that the, that, the way, that the way I use these terms is understandable. Now, I realize I've been throwing around some jargon. And what I mean by jargon is, if you listen to a lot of podcasts the way I have, you'll understand that like political YouTubers or I'm sorry, political podcasters, they have a jargon, neocon, neoliberal, new world order, um, fashion and beauty, um, podcasters have their own jargon. I'm going to attempt as far as possible to stay away from jargon. Unfortunately, I've been, you know, I've been swimming in, in the um, social media waters since around 2017. So some of the jargon has kind of seeped into me. But I promise you guys, I'm going to do my best to try to keep it to a minimum. And if, if I should slip into some jargon, if you don't understand or whatever, if there's a comment section, uh, you can either ask me a question, and if I get a chance to read it, I'll try to answer. If I don't, though, there's always Google. Google is, you know, it's like anything else. It can be used for good reasons, and it can be used for bad reasons. It's up to you how you want to use it. Okay, so... I want to start off by starting with the term neo. When I put a prefix neo in front of anything, basically what I'm telling you is it's fake. 
it's false. And the people, there are two types of people. And yes, I do realize that um, people are individuals. I, I, I've said it several times so far. I do understand that. But also understand that I'm going to use generalities. A generality is not a hard and fast rule. A generality is exactly what it is. It's You're saying most people are like this. You're not saying all, you're saying most. So when I put the term Neo in front of something, I'm basically saying they're a fake, they're a grifter, they're a phony. Now, I'll give you an example. Those of you who have followed political, you know, who, who follow politics have heard the term neoconservative. Now, to give context to those who may not be interested in that kind of thing, quite frankly, I don't blame them. A neoconservative is basically a leftist or in political terms will be called a progressive who they're, they're leftist or progressive, but they think that their side's going too fast. They don't, it's going too fast. Oh, I, I can't handle it, man. It's, 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 it's too much. So basically what they do is, is they leave that side of the aisle, but they never denounce their basic leftist or progressive belief system. They don't denounce that part. They don't leave it behind. They bring it with them. But they take the stuff from conservatism that they like, and then they they write from that viewpoint. Um, the reason... Um, and well, uh, I, like I said, there are two types. There's the leadership... And I'm going to keep this in the, in the example I'm using of neoconservatives. The neoconservative leadership are well aware, or you know, like I said, everybody, everybody's individuals. You know, different people, different results. But basically, you're more corrupt neoconservatives. They know, they know, they don't really believe in conservatism. They know that they, that they, you know, that they're, that they're selling snake oil, but because they got a position, some of them are working for think tanks and stuff and getting paid dollars. So then they don't want to lose that. So, you know, they continue to sell the snake oil, even though they know that they don't believe in what they're selling. Michael Malice is a podcaster. And he has an expression that he likes to use that conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. Basically, what it boils down to is, is basically, you know, the conservatives are basically progressives that think the progressives are going too fast, too far. Now, when he says that, I disagree with this one point. I think it's more applicable to the neoconservatives than people who are actually conservative and trying to live their values. There is a difference. At the same token, I also have to point out 
that there are millions of people in the United States who think they're conservative, but they're actually neoconservative because they blindly accept what these guys are selling. And they don't know, and they don't, for whatever mix of reasons they have, they're not, they're not uh, researching, you know, the positions. They just blind, they accept it with blind faith, basically. But there is a difference. Now, when I use the term neo-Catholic, I'm talking about the Vatican II, popes, bishops, and priests, and their apologists. Uh, basically, what an apologist is, is a guy who tries to argue the doctrine of his particular church and get other people to accept it. When I say the neo-Catholics, that's who I'm talking about. And part of this, part of this uh, web, this evil web, are the neo-trads. And when I, when I use the word neo-trad, these are the guys like, uh, for those of you who are familiar, the Saint, the, the Society of St. Pius X. Now these guys claim that they're real traditionalists and they're doing things the tradition, you know, the way it's always been done. Um, now I'm talking about the leadership, not, not the average guy in the pew. These guys, like, you know, like your neoconservatives, they have a mix of reasons, you know, um, and there are, you know, just like anything else, there are some guys that know they're full of crap, but because they're getting a hefty paycheck or because it might cause some discomfort. And when I say discomfort, uh, perhaps that's too light of a word, but you know, it might actually break up their family. If they say, you know, I'm living a lie, it's time to change. Now, some of you might think I'm being too hard on that reason. But I, I want to give you some context in the context of which I'm coming from. That context is being that Jesus in, in his Gospels, I think he was talking to, uh, to a group of Jews. I mean, he was Jewish too, but. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he was talking to him and he's like, look, anybody who will not renounce mother, father, daughter, son for my sake or wife or husband for my sake cannot call themselves my follower. That sounds pretty harsh, especially to modern ears. But you have to understand God is the ultimate goal. And he is the ultimate king. Now, you know, I know there's going to be some edgy boys out there, you know, atheist types who, you know, you're such a dummy. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. God is. He, 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 he should be your ultimate goal. And I can understand this mindset because when I wanted to join the military, Anything that would have kept me from passing basic training, I basically dumped it. And I worked as hard as I could to make sure that I could get through basic training. The principle is the same. It's not different. And, you know, 
I was working this hard just to get into a large bureaucratic government-run organization. How much more is it important to, to, to put that kind of effort into following the, the, the person who created you, who determines when you live, when you die, and, you know, um, everything that you have, everything, your looks, your intelligence, your job, your, your spouse, your possessions. Guess what? You didn't do that. God bless you. And a lot of people need to, to get that principle through their thick skulls. You know, because a lot of people are narcissistic. Oh, I did this and I did that. No, God bless you. He blessed you with that stuff and he can take it away in a heartbeat. So don't get it twisted. Anyway, sorry, went off on a little rant there. But the same principle applies uh, to the followers of the Neo-Catholics. And I will get to that term in a minute. But basically these people... Through a mix of reasons, it doesn't matter. They're willing to be sheep to be led to the slaughter. You know, they're they're not they're not looking to research. Now, I'm gonna say the word Vatican II sect. I'm gonna try to make this as brief as possible because this is running a little long, a little longer than I would have liked. The, uh, the reason I call, and by the way, let me give you context again. A lot of you, what you think of is the true Catholic Church, or you know, the Catholic Church of your understanding, is really the Vatican II sect. So when I say Vatican II sect, just remember that the institution that you think of as the Catholic II Church is actually a sect. Now, as briefly as possible, as quickly as possible, the reason I call it a sect is in true Catholic teaching, Protestants are considered heretics and their denominations are called sects. Um, I, I will get into the, 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 the weeds on that one in a later podcast. Just... Take this for what it's worth for right now. We're trying to be brief. So, the reason I call Vatican II a sect, and by the way, I, I know I'm throwing a lot out there. It's tired. I've been up for a long time. Just try to bear with me. Vatican II was the last church council it was the last church council, quote-unquote council. And basically a council helps write doctrine or define um, true Catholic teachings. And basically what the guys at Vatican II did was they kept the externals. And when I say the externals, the churches. Um, the, the vestments of the clergy and the sacraments. But what they did is through the back door, they rewrote the doctrine to make it more Protestant. And as I said, true Catholicism considers Protestantism a heresy. That's why I call it a sect. 
Protestants ha- don't have denominations or churches. They have sects. Vatican II is basically Protestantism with a Catholic facade. And I've stated that on several occasions online. Nobody seems to be willing to um, take that seriously, but that's on you. It's your soul. Um, now, those of you, uh, for the for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to ass- I'm going to assume that the majority of you, probably 90, 95% of you, some of these terms I'm going to be throwing out there, you've never heard before, and you know, you've probably never heard before. So I'm going to have to diverge occasionally and explain the context. Um, set of a, if you've ever heard the term set of a contest or set of a contism, let me try to make it as simple as I can for you. Set of Contism is basically church teachings prior to Vatican II. A set of contist is a person that believes those positions and holds to the positions of, of true Catholicism. And so, like I said, a set of contist is kind of jargon because it's a minority within a minority. So a lot of people, you know, uh, I was trying to explain to my sister, she was lost after two minutes. So in order to simplify things, when I say set of a contest, I'm going to try to say true Catholic. Now, as I said earlier, I've been swimming in social media waters for a while. So occasionally I may say the word set of a contest instead of true Catholic. All you need to know is they both mean the same thing. Set of a contism is basically pre-Vatican II Catholicism. And for, for, ease, for ease of understanding, I'm going to refer to it as true Catholicism. The, the teachings prior to Vatican II, true Catholicism. Now, to make things easy, the reason they... Um, they Call their position set of a contism. Set of a contism, uh, as basic as I can make it, means in Latin the seat is empty, meaning that the throne of Peter is empty, that no legitimate pope has resided in the Vatican since before Vatican II, which was in 1958. And they consider the last legitimate pope to be Pius XII. John Paul, or I'm sorry, John the 23rd was the one who called Vatican II together. And his successors were all part of Vatican II and all helped draw up the doctrine of Vatican II. So, um, to make the principle as easy as I can, I'm trying, trust me, I, I know it's complicated. It sounds nuts. But, to make it as easy as I can, um, to, uh, true Catholic teaching is that a public heretic automatically excommunicates themselves from the true church. 
Meaning, if you're a public heretic and you contradict uh, established church teachings, you are a heretic. Uh, true Catholics are to have nothing to do with you. They're to avoid you like a vampire avoids sunlight. Um, and so, because John the Twenty Third and his successors, and when I say the successors, I'm not just talking about the popes, the cardinals, and the priests who teach this heresy, and it is a heresy because. Protestantism is considered a heresy and you're basically conforming um, previous church teachings. It looks like Catholicism, but it's really a counterfeit. It's a, it's a counterfeit Catholicism. It's basically Protestantism with Catholic trappings. Okay, guys, got to stop. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys got something out of this. Um, thank you for listening. Um, I really appreciate it. God bless you. Goodbye.